at the Rampart Race and Sportsbook. It's Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield and Adam Hill on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go. Rampart Race and Sportsbook on a Wednesday. Demond's back in the Finley Toyota Studios. Lots to get to. A lot of Raiders conversation today with press conferences going down. Reaction to cut day yesterday, which for the Raiders dragged towards like 5 o'clock. Supposed to be in by 1 o'clock Pacific, but we didn't get the list until the evening. So Adam Hill along in just a little bit. Demond, what's going on, buddy? Uh, None much. Getting ready for the weekend. Went to go get a haircut today. You know, so uh, it's Wednesday. Yeah, the it's Wednesday, but you got to get ready for the weekend early. You already start prepping. Yeah. What is going on that you needed a haircut today? Uh, family reunion leaving out on Friday. Friday's a travel day. You know, oh, so, really? So I get in to Memphis on Friday, Saturday. You know, going to be seeing everybody. You know, so oh, that's Wednesday, a cool trip. Yeah, Wednesday was the only day. Well, I guess I how close is the reunion and family to uh, Memphis proper? It's about an hour away. Maybe All an right. hour and a half. So you can enjoy a barbecue, but it might be an hour away. What do you mean? The barbecue is going to be down down where the, where we reside, down in, out in Henning, out in Ripley. That's a good point. You if you're having a family city. reunion and, yeah. and someone's making it, then you don't need to be in Memphis. Yeah. We're a, we're a small town, Steve. Like I said, try that in a small town. <laughs> you love that song. I know yeah, you do. <laughs> less than 1,000 people in the town where the family reunion That's is a. That's a small town, unlike uh, Jason Aldean's Macon, as we found out. Yeah. is not really a, a small town. Who was the guy we mentioned yesterday was kind of a fake, poor country guy? Was it Oliver something? Oliver something. I know um, poor man in rich, oh. rich man in Richmond, something like that. A something guy from like West that, Virginia. Yeah. I don't we know learn about, about it the, We learn about these works all the time in the uh, world of music and entertainment and social media. So good stuff. Uh, Rampart here on a Wednesday. We're going to talk to Dwayne Colucci in a little bit. Get his take on week one of college football and also look ahead to week one of the NFL. They're going to start rolling out all the great specials for football season on that first Thursday on the 7th. And that includes, I mean, this is locals, right? I mean, because we know a lot of places now uh, you hear about prices. I think I'm trying to think of a local bar I went to about 10 days ago. I actually never got a look at the bill. I just got the uh, the overall bill. I never got the itemized bill. Damon and I swear we got i think it was two beers and two shots might have been a third beer three beers and and two shots at a local joint it was 54 bucks and i paid it and i left i'm like i don't even know how that adds up i'm like did i just pay like nine bucks a beer at a local joint and then 15 a shot that would be 57 but doesn't add up but anyway uh rampart's got two dollar beers during all the football games, uh, moving past September 7th, that first Thursday night game, that's draft, $3 bottled beers, $4 on the Bloody Marys. I was mentioning yesterday, it's hard to get a Bloody Mary for less than 10 bucks anywhere now. And Monday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, the joy of uh, every Cofield. Actually, no one else in my family really likes hot dogs, but the hot dog cart is back in the race in sportsbook. So cheap dogs, cheap beers, you can't ask for more. Great big screens here. It's a uh, great build-out they did a few years back, and we'll tell you more about the Rampart property. They're nice enough to have us back here for, I think it's like the fifth year in a row, as I'm smelling food from the Clubhouse Deli, and I'm looking right at Earl Gray. So come on down here. We're hanging out in the sports book until 6 o'clock. So let's start out with a little, uh, little food item and some breaking news on that front. Before we get to the Raiders' cut yesterday, as I've told you, Demond, I'm not a fast food guy. 
But every once in a while, I have a couple places. Now with the apps, I try to get the bargains on the apps. I am not a Whopper guy. I'm not a fast food burger guy. Um, Justin Watkins will be in later, our ESPN Las Vegas legal insider, so he'll break this down for us. But do we have another one of these cases? In the past, we've had, what, Subway sued over claims that they don't really have bread and their tuna is not real tuna. I think Taco Bell got hit with, hey, this grande taco doesn't look like the picture. And now is the Whopper not really a Whopper like it used to be 40 years ago? Well before you were alive, by the way. Back in my day, the Whopper was the size of my head. Now it's uh, it's like a slider. Someone's suing him? Yeah, it's because the Whopper doesn't look the way it looks in the picture. The images yep. on the picture, I mean, the lettuce overflowing. Look at how big those tomatoes are. Those onion slices are Where perfect. are the juices, right? Yes. Where are they on the real burger, and why does the burger look like it has been run over by a car? When I get nothing it, against Ed nothing against BK, it's, I'm just I'm just describing this as an attorney, and I'm not, but as as if I were an attorney suing over the Whopper size. You know what I'm getting? I love the place. We so can talk. If about we this. have future business with them. Love you. <laughs> when Justin gets on, we can talk about it. When it comes to these class action suits. What yep. are, what are people expecting to get? Do they just do they just want to go to their local Burger King and get their proper order, or are they like I'm going to strike it big? I, actually, That's I want to know how we redeem this. Like, do I do I need to keep a receipt for every time I've gone to the place, or like your mobile order on the app? Well, I hate to tell you, but the the mobile order on the app wasn't wasn't around about oh. six years ago, so not even four years ago. So I'm an old man. There was a good period of time where uh, I would stop and. I guess if I didn't save the receipt, damn it, I knew I should have saved all these receipts over the years. Now I can't be part of the class action lawsuit. Sucks. So he'll get us in tune with what's going on with the Whopper, which apparently may not be a Whopper. And again, I think the bottom line is to send a message to fast food restaurants and maybe regular restaurants that if you put a picture up of some robust-looking food, that's what I want. I, I don't know. I don't. Are they... They're just telling you that's what it could look like. Maybe it's up to you to ask. Well, I don't think that. That's <laughs> maybe it's up to you to ask. I want it to look exactly the way it looked in that commercial. Do they do that in car commercials, where they're like, "Hey, here's what the car looks like, all shiny and if you and new, the- and it sounds awesome." That's that's what it it could look like. When you get to the dealership, there's almost no chance that car is available. It's going to be a beater that uh, someone at the dealership has driven around. We're going to call it new, but it's already got seventeen thousand miles on it. I dare you. I don't think drive, that's allowed. Take your new truck off roading the way they do in those commercials. You're probably not going to like it. That's a good point. But the point is, they would put that back on the lot after they took it off road. So cut day yesterday. And I hadn't seen this. This is a good spot by Damon. Um, Doug Peterson had a son who was uh, working to make the Jaguars. Yeah, he did. I'm going to assume this was a tight end spot. But Doug Peterson's son, Josh, didn't make the final 53. But, and some people are like, oh, this is the business of football. No, this is nepotism in football that he even got this far. I think he was playing in the USFL before this. Yeah, what is his football background? Because I expected him to be 21 or 22. Uh, he played at ULM. Who he was undrafted in 2021 or 2023, so it's not that long ago. He's 25. He's 6'5", 235. And he has had off-season time or practice squad time with the Niners, the Saints, the Chiefs. As you mentioned, the Houston Gamblers and now the Jaguars. So you're immediately rushing to... The only reason he's gotten a chance is because the NFL is the number one Nepo league in the United States for sports. Of course. It might be the number one Nepo business industry that there is. 
when you look at the rate of, hey, I'm a coach because my dad was a coach. No chance is a backup. Let's see. I got the USFL stats here right here. 24 receptions. A tight end with 24 receptions in the USFL deserves an NFL tryout. Okay. So we got some checks being in camp for a month. I don't know, man. I don't even know if I should get upset about this anymore. But dad you know a what's hard going- lesson. Well, you know what's going to happen. He will be landing on the Jags as a volunteer coach soon to be hired in a couple of years or get you know some sort of GA job in college. Because when I first read it, I was like, good for Doug Peterson. He's not going to just let his son on the team just because. But he's basically getting him into football and getting him more looks into football. So it's going to be the same sad story. Oh, no, no, hold Did on. Did you watch the practice yeah. squad? He's on, he's on the practice squad. Oh, they already signed him? <laughs> oh, yeah, he's back. He's already on it? <laughs> oh, man. Forget everything we just said. We got to get the uh, we got to get the weekly salary on the practice squad. I think it's I think it's pretty good. I thought it was. I think it depends on your age. I take it right now. I think th- I think the minimum might be upwards of like nine or ten grand a week. I think might be higher than that. By the way, did you watch the Notre Dame? Speaking of nepotism, and I don't want to go crazy on this because it sounds like jealousy, and it is. Um, did you watch the Notre Dame uh, game over uh, this past weekend against Navy in Ireland? Only a little bit of it. Once I found out that Navy couldn't move the ball, I said, I'm done with this. So Jack Collinsworth, who is the son of Chris Collinsworth, I guess wasn't available for the game as the play-by-play voice. So they went out and gave Noah Eagle, who's the son of broadcaster Ian Eagle, the play-by-play spot. And the color voice was Jason Garrett, uh, former Cowboys coach, but his dad also coached in the NFL. And I looked at the sideline reporter, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know who she is, but I was like, I'm not looking up who her family is because if she's connected to, come on. So in all of our businesses, folks, you know it. You see it at your workplace. Where you're like, what is that kid doing here? Why is that person working that high a level at this place? I've never seen them before. They have no experience. They're connected. They're juiced in. Right? Meanwhile, the Cottons and the Cofields, nothing. No juice. No connections. Zippo. Did I speak out of turn about your family? Uh, no, you did not. <laughs> okay, there you go. My father's a high school teacher. <laughs> so you're not going to fail here and then immediately go to, uh, oh, man, I usually know all the radio stations around the country. I can't remember the Memphis sports radio station. No. Damn no. me. Yeah, no, Damn 929 gonna, ESPN gonna... isn't. Uh, oh, there you go. I don't have a nice cushion spot there if it all fails here. Yes. De- Demond flops in Vegas and then uh, has to suffer by being a full-time host in Memphis. And then flops there, and then there's some family member, you know, in uh, whatever, New York City, and then you're on WFAN. That's the way it works. But to the original point about Doug Peterson and the business of the NFL, you don't just get to make the team uh, because you're the son of a coach. It is a rough day yesterday, and I don't want to mock on it because it's so freaking hard to make the NFL. The rosters are so small, and even when you play in these minor leagues, it doesn't mean you're going to get a chance playing out of the USFL or – out of the XFL, doesn't mean you're going to be guaranteed a chance to play at the highest level. And there are great, great college players who never make the NFL, or even worse, they get a cup of coffee, but they never really have a chance to make the league. And that includes guys who are drafted, you know, third, fourth, fifth, six-round picks, and you're like, okay, I'm going to be with this team that drafted me. They invested in me. I'll be there for a couple of years. And not even that. 
is a guarantee. So we'll get to what Josh McDaniels was saying today about cut day is they did move on. One guy got traded, and they moved on from another defensive lineman, two defensive linemen who were drafted last year on their way out. So we'll get you more details on the Raiders cut day. Also, Josh Jacobs speaking to the media um, at length for the first time since he returned with his incentive-laden deal now. So he's back in the fold, and we'll find out when he's going to play and get more details later in the show from one Adam Hill. Now, back to the Rampart Race and Sportsbook. It's Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Yep, set up in the sportsbook. Come on down. They got a $5 happy hour going on over at uh, Jade and Hor- uh, Hawthorne Grill at uh, Rampart. That goes down at 4 o'clock until 6. So out on the patio, $5 happy hour. Select food and drinks starting at 5 bucks. So many specials here at the Rampart. So come on out. Check out the show for a little bit. Get some bets down at the Rampart Race and Sportsbook. And we'll also tell you when you uh, get here. We'll tell you a little later with Dwayne Colucci about some of the football season promotions uh, beyond the food and drink specials. DeMond's back in studio. We're going to catch up with Adam Hill in just a little bit. He's out there covering uh, Raiders on the other side of town as Josh Jacobs, I think, just got done uh, speaking a little while ago. I know he was uh, still talking about 245. So we'll get the update on that. And we did hear from Josh McDaniels this morning around 11 o'clock. The cut list, Damon, you, you were tracking it. We were tracking it in studio yesterday. We got access to it a little later in the day. I think it came across on the wire at like 4.58. Were you surprised, shocked by anyone who did go bye-bye from this long list that I put on our rundown? There's waived players, and then there are released players, and then uh, there was one player who was put on the reserve injured list, the uh, gigantic offensive lineman, who we actually got to know a little bit during the East-West Shrine game, Arkansas dude, who, of course, was on the other side of the ball from uh, two of the UNLV coaches now, Barry Odom, the head coach, and Michael Shear were both on the Arkansas staff. But Dalton Wagner's on uh, on the reserve injured list. Uh, he's an interesting project at 6'8", 320. Um, anyone who actually got released or waived surprise you? Uh, McClinton Curtis, um, the, the young lineman out of uh, dang it, UT Chattanooga, he he was someone that got released as a guard that I thought maybe he had a shot. Maybe it was more so that I was rooting for him than I thought he was actually going to make the <laughs> team. But, yeah, Duke Shelley from Minnesota because he was one of those signings that Vikings fans were saying, you know, you see it on the Twitter, hey, the Raiders are going to get a good player in this guy. This guy's a dog, Duke Shelley. Like, oh, man, we're going to miss him as, as Vikings fans. And for him not to make the team as the Raiders and for him to have such an impact on the Vikings late down the stretch when he got a couple of games to start, that's surprising. But uh, besides that, not really. I know Butler and Farrell, people want to talk about those guys, but from the get-go, even before training camp started, I didn't think that those two guys had a good shot because the regime never sounded that confident in them. Even though we hear about Josh Jacobs, oh, was he going to sign? When was he going to come back? If you ask McDaniels or Ziegler about him, they had nothing but great things to say about him. So you can tell when the organization likes guys. And I just think that Butler and Farrell, for whatever reason, those guys, it just wasn't clicking with this Raiders team. Well, someone like Farrell, because they moved him to the Kansas City Chiefs, which is interesting, in the division. And the Chiefs are kind of desperate for help with their situation with Chris Jones. On McClendon Curtis, uh, Vincenzo over on Raider Nation Radio 920 was saying that uh, he was out there at practice today. So it appears he's on the practice squad so we got more details on some of the early entrants onto the practice squad 
Well, that's you a, were saying. Well, no, that's a guy that, like I said, I was rooting for him. So I'm glad that he's got that practice squad spot because you know a lot of times when the guys are released, a lot of the guys say they're just going to come back. But I do think that the players do take a little bit of pride making that 53. Also, yeah, I am a surprise. Now that I'm looking at the list a little bit more, at the receiver list, I thought Philip Dorsett was going to be someone that flat out made the team. I heard that he's also a guy that's going to be back on the practice squad. But that's a veteran guy, played with McDaniels before, that you thought, hey, he's going to make the team. When they sign him, hey, he knows McDaniels' system. He's going to be a lock to make the team. Keelan Cole Sr., he's got to get it together. This has been, I think, this season number two for him of just still hanging around on the practice squad with the Raiders, that's a guy where I'm not saying try to latch on on another team, but I don't think it's working out for him here with the Raiders. Let's listen to Josh McDaniels from uh, just a few hours ago talking about tough decisions to make with the roster. I mean, we've talked a lot about this time of the year. Um, You know, they're tough decisions, and... Uh, a lot of things go into them, a lot of discussions, a lot of people, um, you know, are evaluating our team and, um, you know, what would be best going forward and, you know, just trying to look at everything from all sides and see if we can't put together the the best group that we can. It gives us the best chance to compete every week. So um, I think it's still a fluid process. There's still some things that I would say are, uh, up in the air here uh, relative to practice squad or, you know, those kind of things. And um, But right now I think we've tried to put together the group that we feel, you know, best about going forward. And, um, you know, I'm sure there will be some things that get tweaked here. Why does he seem exasperated? It's a hard question, man. Tough decisions. Is, it, is that is – he, is he worn out from all the – Again, I'm not laughing at this because guys are losing their jobs, and he's right. There still is a lot to be answered because they're trying to slip guys through and then get them back. I know they lost one of the players uh, that they they wanted to keep, but he, he seemed like he was gassed there as he was talking about tough decisions. And um, It is a fluid process because there are guys on the practice squads all over the league who are of much value, and you know clubs want to stash guys there, kind of hide them. There might be some guys who you know could be in that role of, you know, number 54, 55, 56 that may be needed early in the season. Hell, I'd Patriots yesterday dumped almost the entire quarterback room and most of the running back room. It's like, wait, what are you doing? Well, they're trying to play a numbers game, and that's happening all over the league. Uh, here's McDaniels on what we were just talking about. We are talking about uh, linemen from last year who were fourth and fifth round picks, and they trade Neil Farrell. They release... Uh, Matt Butler, so his comments here on those two moves. I don't think we were trying to make a statement with that. I, I think it was just we're just trying to we're just trying to have a fair, honest evaluation of where we're at and who's played the best, you know, and what gives our team the best chance to win. Uh, both players were competitive. Both players have improved, um, you know. And anytime you trade, you know, a player, especially when you do it in the division, you just gotta. If that's what you think is best, then, you know, you make the decision that you think is best for your team. Um, You know, Matthew uh, is one of the few that I can confirm is back on the practice squad right now. So, you know, we we released him, but also, you know, have a chance to continue working with him, which is great. Um, um, And again, it just I think we just got to hold ourselves to that standard of whatever's best for the team. Uh, Those are the decisions we want to try to make, regardless of how they got here, what round it was, um, free agency, not free agency, whatever. Um, we're just trying to do the best thing for the 2023 Raiders. There you go. So 
Uh, breaking news that's three and a half hours old. Uh, we were talking about Butler. He's back in the practice squad. The uh, trackers out there also mention uh, former Arizona receiver Antoine Wesley practice squad. Uh, Devin Ross, a former New England wide receiver. We mentioned McClendon Curtis a little earlier, and then Matthew Butler as we will track this the rest of the day. I think I'm going to look at this as glass half full. It sucks for Alex Bars, but I do think he's going to latch on, and he may have already latched on with someone else. We'll continue watching the wire. Um, we're talking about an offensive line last year for the Raiders that was kind of middle of the pack. It was better than expected in the National Football League, and they had real battles along the line, and you know, Bars was one of those guys. And Here's McDaniels this morning talking about the uh, battle on the offensive line as he evaluates uh, what's going on with the big fellows up front. The offensive line was very similar to the defensive line. There was a lot of guys um, that we were, um, you know, we were playing a lot of football in the preseason to try to really get a good evaluation of them. I thought the joint practices really helped us, you know, try to figure out exactly what the right, you know, concoction of those guys was going to be here. Um, you know, we're able to get, um, you know, a couple of these guys. I think we're headed on, headed towards getting a couple of these guys back to our practice squad, which is good. And then Wags, you know, um, I thought he was really competitive. Um, just, you know, he, he, he's been dealing with something that, you know, finally kind of looks like, you know, we needed to address it, which we did. And, um, you know, but, you know, he'll he'll eventually be back and working, you know, working out and doing all the things he needs to do here while he's able to be in the meetings, which is good. And, you know, hopefully get himself ready for another year next year. There you go. Wags, 6'8", 320, Arkansas kid. Um, as he mentions, the future is bright for Wags as he deals with whatever he is dealing with. Uh, coming up, we're going to have a conversation with Logan Thompson. actually caught up with him just a couple days ago at his uh, street hockey camp. And at about 15, we're going to talk to former UNLV quarterback Caleb Herring. A lot on cut day, more on the Raiders, a look around the NFL, and the first depth chart was out for the Rebels. And speaking of that depth chart, which came out on Monday, 60 minutes of UNLV football talk tonight, debut of the Barry Odom radio show. He is the new head coach of the Rebels. That'll be at Parkway Tavern, 215 and Flamingo. Uh, I'm hosting along with Caleb Herring. It includes conversations with quarterback Doug Brumfield, star safety transfer in from Arizona, Jackson Turner, uh, Arkansas transfer linebacker Jackson Woodard also on the program. You can hear it here on ESPN Las Vegas, but uh, we'd love you to come out and attend the show. I'm sure uh, Barry Odom would love that as well. Parkway Tavern, 215 and Flamingo. Cofield and Company is live at the Rampart Race and Sportsbook on ESPN Las Vegas. Rolling on here in Summerlin, it's Cofield, Damon as well, back in the Finley Toyota Studios. We're set up in the sports book. Come on by, say hi. We've got some goodies to give away, and uh, always a good time here. Great locals joint, classy place, Rampart, and Rampart Race, and sports book. You know, the Raiders are great when it comes to the community, and we're going to see how the A's are going to do. I, I think they better hit a home run uh, based on what they're bringing here and, and oh, the kind of money they just got. Uh, VGK's really good along those lines as well and the players if you if you notice when the players posted about the Stanley Cup you know having it in their hometown uh, there was some you know crazy fun but a lot of the Stanley Cup trips with the players were tied into some sort of charity and I know Logan Thompson did that and I had a chance to catch up with Logan uh, just a couple days ago he was out doing the Logan Thompson street hockey camp uh, down at Lorenzi Park in the city of Las Vegas which I appreciate because I live pretty close uh, around that neighborhood and um 
they've done a really good job at that park, and they've had other events there. And VGK was a big part of getting that street hockey uh, court or courts built. So Logan Thompson was out there. It was really hot the other day, and I started off the conversation asking him, hey, you know, what, what are you doing out here? This is not exactly hockey weather. It's sizzling right now. Um, you know, I've been telling, you know, my agency, uh, you know, I just want to get more involved in the community. Um, you know, it was my first kind of first year in the NHL last year. So um, we were kind of working all year and, and able to, to kind of set up things like this, uh, you know, a ball hockey tournament with the kids. And um, as soon as I found out, I jumped right on the opportunity because uh, this, this stuff's a lot of fun. And, um, you know, it's, it's fun playing with the kids. And I'm happy that uh, I get to share this opportunity with them. Are you surprised how much buy-in there is from Vegas on hockey? You know, we're new to the, the whole sport in the last, you know, half dozen years. I think when I when I was here at the first ever Dev Camp when I was 18, I think I was a little surprised. But, you know, signing here three years ago, now, you know, Vegas is a hockey town. And, uh, no, I'm not surprised at all. Everyone wants to learn and everyone's uh, really excited about the game. And uh, this game's growing uh, really big out here. So what have you been doing since you won the cup? Uh, you know, a little bit of celebrating, a little bit of training. Um, you know, now you know we're a couple weeks away, so I'm just back training every day, skating every day, and, and hoping to have a good season. When did you have your time with the cup, and what did you do? Um, I had it about early August, um, and it was a, went to the Children's Hospital um, and got to share with the kids out there. So that was a, a lot of fun, and, and really happy to, to bring it back and, and show them. And then the community rink I grew up in, um, you know, my whole life, took it there for about three hours, and. Um, you know, we weren't able to fit, you know, all the people and kids in. I wanted to see the line, which is too long, but I was there for three hours and then just got to share with my community and, and ended with a little dinner um, with just family and friends. So what do you think of the offseason? Um, you know, you have to lose Riley Smith, but Barbie's back, and now you've got this dynamic duo in goal. I mean, this could be something really powerful to defend the Cup. Yeah, you know, it's always unfortunate, um, you know, seeing Smitty go and you kind of Fortunately, that's part of the game, but no, you know, having Barb's here and you know me and Hilsey with our chemistry and our relationship, uh, I'm excited to get back to work with him, and you know, I'm excited for a nice, good, long, healthy season with him. All right, we can talk to Logan Thompson for ten minutes, but he's got to get to the kids. Yeah, get to it. Absolutely, thank you. There he is. Uh, hundreds of kids out there at that street hockey court. It's a really cool setup at Lorenzi Park. Try to get over there and check it out. That was Logan Thompson, who uh, I didn't mention. Aiden Hill, he did, uh, but he and Aiden Hill are back. Uh, Barbashev is back. Riley Smith has moved on. But, you know, much of the team was retained after winning the Stanley Cup. And he's right. It's just a couple of weeks away for VGK to get back out there. So the sports scene already crowded. We'll get even more crowded coming up in just a couple of weeks with the Golden Knights. Let's do a giveaway right now. We've got tickets to go see Farner. They've got a residency next year. It is their farewell tour. Two tickets, 364-1100, caller 7. The legendary Farner is going to be playing at Venetian. You can grab your tickets. They go on sale. We got them before you can buy them. Uh, they go on sale this Friday, the 1st, at 10 a.m., Ticketmaster.com. But DeMond will hook you up right now, 364-1100, caller number 7. Caleb Herring is coming in here in just a couple minutes. And, man, he's got a new feature that – we're going to be using on the Barry Odom radio show a kind of a get-to-know-the-rebel-players, and it's a lot more chill than us nerds do in the media. So we're going to talk about uh, one Jackson Turner and what he got out of that conversation. Jackson is expected to be one of the stars on this rebuilt defense that's going to go with a 3-3-5. Former UNLV quarterback and current voice of the Rebels on radio, Caleb Herring is live right now on Cofield and Company. All right, let's do it. Bring in Caleb Herring. Caleb, what's going on, buddy? Hey, Steve. How you doing, man? 
I'm good. We're hanging out at the Rampart in Summerlin. I was going to say out in Summerlin, but I don't live that far from here, so it's not really out for me. <laughs> uh, nice setting. Sportsbook. Got all the baseball games on, and we got football week one for college football right around the corner after a half dozen games last week. So I want to get to a couple of themes in a few minutes from week zero, but let's start out with the news of the week with UNLV football. So many newcomers in, 40-plus newcomers in, and a lot of guys recruited to play in the go-go on offense and the three-three-five on defense. So when you looked at the depth chart, were you surprised by how many newcomers made the ones and twos? Were there other surprises in terms of individuals? What do you think of the depth chart? I think the depth chart did surprise me in terms of the newcomers uh, making an immediate impact. And I think that was we kind of could see that coming with the type of effective recruiting that, that Coach Odom and the staff did. And they were very uh, deliberate about who they brought in and, and who fit the scheme. Um, and that goes for the newcomers as well as the guys that were held over from the previous staff. So I think everybody who's, who's now in a Rebel uniform fits the new Rebel structure. You talk about the go-go offense and the three-three-five structure on defense. Those things, I think, do have a, a very – Tight specific personnel group that you have to have. So the newcomers in that regard aren't aren't surprising. And, and Coach Odom's been very open with us about as far as freshmen um, and newcomers being on the roster. So not a surprise. He was true to his word. And there's some guys who are younger and maybe less experienced who are going to get an opportunity uh, at least in the ones and two rotation on the depth chart. I think individually though, the the surprise that really caught me as far as the depth was that second cornerback position. And, and Thomas Anderson was was listed as number one on the depth chart that UNLV released to the press this week. Um, the first weekly presser is, <laughs> is exciting in itself. But Thomas Anderson at cornerback kind of surprised us, uh, at least me, to say um, the least. is because, And not because you know he doesn't deserve it, he's not capable. Um, but it's because B.J. Harris left an impression, I think, on, on me and you last year with what he did and his kind of tenacity on defense when he got a shot uh, last season against Notre Dame. He did some things that I thought impressed. And, and early in fall camp, he was still impressive and, and very aggressive and physical and um, a very capable DB. But to see him now listed as two on the depth chart was a little bit surprising, but it just goes to show how much the depth has increased in the secondary. And that was a point of emphasis for Odom and the staff is to recruit DBs. And that was apparent with the amount that came in as newcomers here in the fall and, and the competition and the battles that have been going on with position changes and things like that in the secondary. It's it's been all, 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 all hands on deck in the secondary. And I think Coach Odom was, uh, was very, very deliberate about fine-tuning that, that group on the defense. I think it's what you want if you're a Rebel fan, right? The fact that B.J. Harris and Ricky Johnson are, you know, fighting in the twos and we'll, you know, get some one time. That's a good thing that there's mega challenges because you and I have talked about this many times and you and LV fans know this. If you go back the last, you know, couple of years, um, the defensive backfield at times, if it did get dinged up, then you had guys who struggled on the field at the twos and threes, and now you have a, a really deep room. I mean, hell, we were talking all camp about JoJo Claiborne, who's a former starter at Reno, um, who's you know coming off a knee injury. It's like a two-year recovery from the knee injury. He walked on. I think he's going to play at some point, but you know he's in the threes and fours. I mean, that's a former starter at a good football program. Yeah, it, it just shows the turnaround. It may, may have been slow and steady, but if you look at the roster now compared to maybe five years ago, just looking at the secondary and even just the on-paper measurables, like everybody that's in the one group on the secondary right now is over six feet. I mean, that's something that we hadn't seen from UNLV secondary. Me and Nick Murphy, our engineer for the games, we were both talking about it. Like, that's, that's insane to see, you know, the secondary that big at UNLV. Um, and, again, there's things to prove on the field, and I know I, 
I said height, but B.J. Harris is probably one of the smaller guys. He plays just as big as the rest of the guys. But that's just a comforting thing for UNLV to know that guys that were considered starters and, and locked in, pinned in starters a season ago are now fighting for spots in the rotation. And there will be a rotation. I think that that is a plus to having that kind of battle and that kind of position group uh, depth is guys will get an opportunity. Guys that aren't listed today will be featured at some point. And, and that's encouraging as a fan to look forward to because that means that the depth won't be as big an issue as in years past. How about a position that maybe you're a little concerned about? Is there one or two positions that you still think, hey, there's a battle going on? I would say always for me a concern and something to keep an eye on throughout the season is the offensive line group. I think it's the most important group uh, on any football team. You can't hide an offensive line that's struggling, and that includes if an injury takes place. You can have a capable guy in the back as a backup, but um, that unit is always something every coach will keep a close eye on. Um, and as a quarterback, like I said, I'm definitely highly concerned with who's going to be protecting the quarterback and establishing the run game. Um, that's probably the position group that, should always have uh, some extra concerns, especially if depth was an issue coming into the fall. I know they've done some things to creatively solve that issue, but as the season rolls on, you're still going to want to monitor that situation very closely. Um, the secondary um, is, is, I think, sewed up pretty tightly. The running back position, just because I'm concerned, and not concerned, that's not the right word for it, but I'm curious to see what the rotation looks like with the go-go offense. And we've talked about how unique it is and the fact that the running back position is very much versatile. There's a lot of depth and rotations involved in that. Um, so it, it's going to be interesting to see how that manifests itself throughout the season, how the depth shakes out once the lights are on um, and who's really trusted to make decisions or be out there on the field and, and protect the ball. So those two, I would say, would, would be the ones that I'm keeping an eye on for changes. Every other position group, I think, has improved a lot compared to the team we saw at the end of last season. The depth on the defensive line, the depth at linebacker, the depth in the secondary, the wide receiver group, I think, minus a key contributor on Kyle Williams last year, has still found playmakers and guys who are kind of resurging their career, like Zal Griffin, to, to add to the depth in that position. I think the tight end group actually got a boost with recruiting and the freshmen and transfers and uh, Shelton Zeon making his return and, and his improvement. I think every other position group has made improvements. The offensive line um, is one that I think I would still have a little bit of concerns on and pause to say that they're, they're solid right now. Coming up after Cofield and Company every Wednesday will be the Barry Odom radio show. It's at one spot this year. It's going to be at Parkway Tavern at 215 and Flamingo. We'll have a series of conversations on the show beyond what we talk about with the coach. And one of them is uh, one of your new features that will play on the pregame show on Saturdays. And it's under the helmet. Get to know a Rebels football player. A little bit different than maybe the traditional interviews. So tell people about the the focus here, and you talked to Jackson Turner, and I think he had some pretty good stories, at least about his background and in terms of getting into football, right? Yeah, I'm definitely excited to introduce that feature. It, it's something that I've always, even from my time as a player, thought was an important aspect of, of any really entertainment uh, industry, which sports is that. Um, college football now has given the opportunity for players now to have uh, more visibility. And I think football whether you realize it or not, gets so little visibility. Outside of the quarterbacks, not a lot of people are in front of cameras. You don't know a lot about a lot of these guys. They play under a helmet. You don't see their face. You probably wouldn't recognize a football player if you walk past them on the street. But I think there's an opportunity to get to know the guys that are playing every Saturday, that are putting it on the line um, for the pride of UNLV. And Jackson Turner is one of those guys, new to the program, so definitely some unfamiliarity there with the Rebel fans. And I think he was – he was more than happy to, to participate in this segment, which is, is going to be great. When fans get to listen to the full thing, I'm going to be excited about it. But just hearing these guys and what they go through and 
kind of their personal feelings and getting to know them, I think, helps fans appreciate and support them um, to a lot of degrees even more because you know who you're cheering for. It's not just a jersey number. There's a person. There's with feelings, emotions, experiences, laughter, joy, pain, all those things that go into it. I think you get a peek, just a small peek, a sample of what it's like to be one of these Rebel players. And I'm excited for this feature. And hopefully this season the fans get to appreciate it as well. Six o'clock start tonight for the Barry Odom radio show. Um, I was intrigued by the basketball conversation because, you know, it's funny. I listened to Doug Brumfield talk about uh, his basketball background and then transition that, and Doug's the quarterback for UNLV, and transition that into uh, playing uh, at the school gym, right? And he was mentioning a lot of the dudes who were good players on the football team. And I'm sure you guys played a lot of hoops. I know you did in high school, but I'm sure you guys had a you know competitive group that played hoops when you played football at UNLV. And he shouted out a bunch of the defensive backs. And I think at the time, maybe he didn't have Jackson Turner uh, on the team yet because Jackson was transferring in. But he had mentioned like Seneca McKee and then guys like Jonathan Baldwin. Um, it sounded like Jackson Turner actually had a really good basketball background in terms of AAU and. He had played with a bunch of dudes who went on to play pretty high-level college basketball. He must be a good basketball player. Yeah, he's got to be. And I know where he came from, uh, from a, the, the same area of town. And I know that, that school, the school that he went to in high school, Rancho Verde High School, was, was, had a pretty solid basketball program for some years back in the day. So the fact that he was there and, and made an impact, and, and again, with travel ball and the kind of exposure you get these days with the different talent levels. And some of the names he rattled off. Some, some Rebels, he sprinkled in there as well on the basketball yeah, team. Yeah. Uh, that he played against. He played against some high-level competition, and you don't get to play against high-level competition unless you compete at a high level. So that speaks volumes to that. And there's a lot of athletes um, that are two-sport athletes growing up, and they still carry some of those skills. And even in the case of Jackson Turner, I think there's some skill sets that we talked about the defensive side of, of basketball, and then there's some things that translate for sure um, from playing basketball to playing DB. I think some of the shadowing techniques and things like that, the skill set that you need and the skills you develop playing basketball – kind of go hand-in-hand hand with playing DB at a high level. So, yeah, for him, I, I, I'm definitely juiced to see him play. I mean, maybe we got to schedule a tournament in the offseason for some of these guys to put it on display. That could be another thing we work on. All right, got to talk about one of the big college football notes of the week, and it just came down in the last four or five days. Caleb Herring is with us, one of the voices of UNLV football, a host of the Barry Odom radio show. He does the podcast with me, the UNLV All Access podcast, and, of course, led the Rebels to their last bowl game. Uh, Arizona State self-imposed a bowl ban, and they did it at the very last minute before the season. So take me into a team's you know, uh, psyche when they're told at the last minute, you know, the, the carrot that you play for, uh, a bowl game, is gone. And the, the thing I feel, you know, I feel bad about, Jaden Rashada, he's getting paid NIL money, but the freshman quarterback, you think they ran that by him before they had this whole deal? And the other one is Lee Fountaineau from UNLV, the center transfer there, and now here's another year he can't go to a bowl game. Yeah, I think there was, what, 50 players, whether transfers or, or recruits that came to the ASU program, something like that, that are now in that situation, that, that came on during the time where the university has been investigating, not really knowing what was going to happen. That uncertainty, at least one thing was for certain, that they would have a chance to play football and play for something. It's already kind of dwindled, the, you know, the, the, the prize of going to a bowl game is already kind of tainted with these, these Power 5 programs because you're playing for the playoff. That's like the ultimate prize. And you kind of you're, you're you're already at a deficit playing for a bowl game. But if you got guys that are still fired up about the potential of that, about the potential of uh, winning the conference and, and going to a bowl game and representing their families on the main stage in postseason football in college, that to me is still a good thing to have. That energy. Um, and you're talking about week zero, week one, where guys that nervous energy is building up around the country for 
the excitement of what could happen this season and the potential to do just that and make it the bowl season play, um, and then to tell them just before they're about to take the field, essentially, that that's not going to be a reality for them. They're seniors, that maybe this is their last chance to get that goal, to get that, that bowl championship under their belt and to experience that. It's gone for them. There's guys that came into the program with the expectation that they'd, you know, for whatever reason, be able to represent on that stage with all eyes on them. They won't have that now. It's devastating. I think for the players, more importantly, the university deciding to do that. And in this way, you penalize a bunch of guys that had nothing to do with the infraction. Uh, these guys came in as, as, as student athletes, really not privy to all the rules and the ins and outs that were violated by the previous staff. Um, and now they're paying the price for it. And that, that's the part of it that's devastating to me. Obviously, ASU has to pay a penalty. They violated some major infractions and did it blatantly, um, regardless of wanting to stop and, and cease. Um, so th- these kinds of things really devastate me for, on behalf of those players who are supposed to be excited and fired up about a new football season. Now it's tainted by the mistakes of the past. And whether or not the university thinks it's right, I think the players suffer in this case, and, and you hate to see that. By the way, one thought from week zero in the conference, San Jose State uh, didn't win. You know, they got kind of boat race, but they did cover the spread. And you and I both thought, hey, this is going to be a pretty dangerous offensive team. And you noticed the guy we talked about a few years ago who I thought was way too versatile to be just sitting there backup quarterback, uh, Nick Nash, was a dude who backed up Nick Starkle and got some time. Well, Nick Nash... Now at receiver full-time, had three touchdowns. That would be a sleeper for a breakout player in the Mountain West Conference. I 100% agree. And we, the athleticism when he played quarterback was dangerous. When he came in in backup role after he entered to the starter a couple years back, we saw flashes of, like, this guy is an explosive athlete. Now, what San Jose State was able to do was turn his explosion into impact at a different position to make room for Shevin Cordero to be the starter. And he also put on display, even in a loss to USC, some athleticism that was scary. And you know, we saw that firsthand against him last season. So the combination of those two with their athleticism and the big plays that they're able to make, obviously the smarts are there as a former quarterback to understanding coverage and things like that. That does probably help him in his new role as a wide receiver. But the athleticism that they put on display, even in a big loss to USC, number six, I think in the nation, USC, mind you, they were able to put up a, a pretty hefty amount of points. And like you said, three touchdowns for Nash, that, that was an impressive outing. And something I think, they were privy to because they were excited about it when he made the switch to receiver to just get him on the field with that kind of playmaking ability. He put on display in week zero, and the conference, I think, is put on notice, which is probably the advantage of sitting back and watching on week zero. You get a chance to digest that a little bit and maybe make a note that whenever you go up to San Jose State or you got them on the schedule, Nick Nash is somebody to look out for. Caleb, we'll see you in uh, just a couple hours over at Parkway Tavern for the uh, Barry Odom Radio Show. Appreciate a couple minutes. All right, guys. Appreciate you. Go Rebels. There you go. Uh, Caleb Herring, former Rebel quarterback. And, again, the Odom Show is going to be at Parkway Tavern, 215. And Flamingo, cool specials over there, uh, $2 on the Miller Lights. And we'll have uh, special guest interviews as well with Jackson Woodard, Doug Brumfield, and the aforementioned Jackson Turner. Um, You know, I was making the point earlier, Damon, about how deep the roster is with the Rebels. I knew that they were going to have to uh, get the roster down a little bit at the end of camp. You know, I just shouted out JoJo Claiborne who was in from Reno. Um, you know, I was looking at the roster because I know they had a – I know they had a work like I think four people off the roster. I think JoJo left the team. Ooh. So that was a guy who, you know, was a starter a couple of years ago for Nevada. The team is so freaking deep at UNLV, especially at that defensive back position where I think the number is still like 21. That uh, Yeah, I think uh, JoJo moved on. we got the 4 o'clock hour on the way. Justin Watkins, ESPN Las Vegas Legal Insider, is up in less than five.